Good evening, everybody. Really good to see you. Um, we weren't expecting it to be this cold, were we? This is, uh, I mean, it's a bit toastier in here, so that's a bit better. Um, we are looking forward to a lovely evening talking about life beyond Great Ormond Street. Uh, we're going to hear a really powerful story of God's goodness in a, a really challenging circumstance. And I know so many of us have been really looking forward to this. just want to say... Um, whether you're a regular here at Christchurch Banstead or whether you're here for the first time, uh, you are so, so welcome. It's really good to see all of you. And uh, we're going to have some time uh, after the interview where you, you can hang around and chat and uh, get to know some people. Um, and it'd be great if we can hang about for that. But uh, without further ado, I'm going to invite Becca and Paul Feezy to come and join me up on the stage. Give them a round of applause as they do so. I mean, my first question was going to be, how have you managed in the heat over the last couple of days? <laughs> but how have you managed in the cold over the last couple of hours? Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit chilly, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it was a bit. Yeah, I did, I did look at a sweatshirt in my wardrobe and think, oh, I won't need that. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. It's nice and warm in here. <laughs> and um, in one of those bizarre uh, twists of fate, Paul and I have, have just discovered that we spent 18 years living on the same street <laughs> uh, without ever coming across each other. It's a small world, isn't it? So, <laughs> so if you occasionally pick up a, a Welsh twang in uh, Paul's uh, voice, it's, it's the specific Heath Park Avenue accent that we share. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so uh, let, let's, do, let's do some proper questions. Um, maybe start by telling us about, uh, a little about your family and where you're from. Yeah, so, um, so I'm Becca and it's my husband Paul. Anna, we live in Crowborough in East Sussex. Uh, we've got three girls. Um, Melody is um, 10, Clara is 8 and Libby is 2. Um, we've been there for 13 years now, I think, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, so yeah, that's us. That's us. Lovely. <laughs> We're not always that cheery, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so, um, yeah, um, and I, I grew up just uh, down the road from there um, in a little town called Uckfield in East Sussex as well. Grew up in a Christian family um, and, uh, yeah, became a Christian uh, when I was 17 um, on a uh, scripture union um, holiday. Cool. Um, so, yeah. And so, when did you become a Christian? Uh, yeah, I became a Christian. Well, I was, I was raised in a Christian family um, uh, in Cardiff. Yes. Uh, and um, so I kind of went to church my whole life, uh, always kind of believed in God. But it was really, I think, when I was around 16 or 17 that I actually sort of understood the gospel, I think, probably for the first time and became a Christian, actually, when I was on a, a Christian uh, holiday, um, kind of away from home with the youth group. Um, and that kind of changed everything from then on in, really. So it was kind of through that that yeah. it, it all kind of started. Great. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but um, can I be nosy and ask how you two met? <laughs> Yeah, so, um, so we actually met on the same uh, Script Union holiday that I became a Christian on. So um, uh, Script Union, a uh, Christian uh, company, organisation that do lots of different things, um, but also run um, holidays for young people. Um, so, um, yeah, I went to the same holiday for about five years. Um, and, um, yeah, we met on that holiday. Um, mm. you, were, um, yeah, you were a young leader, weren't you? And I was in my last... Um, last year before becoming a young leader the following year. So, yeah, yeah although I didn't that. actually speak to you until oh, you became no. a leader. I knew Becca's brother, so, <laughs> and he'd kind of warned me off her. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> and then when she became a leader, I thought it was, I probably should speak to her. It seemed the polite thing to do. And, uh, <laughs> I, wa I wasn't a particularly nice teenager. Um, and yeah, I became a Christian when I was 17. Uh, before that, I definitely gave my parents a run for their money. Um, but uh, yes. Great. <laughs> Sorry for throwing that one on That's you. That's okay. No, no. So you mentioned you, you, have, uh, you have your three lovely girls. Um, and I believe that last February you noticed that there was something not quite right with Libby's health. Yeah. Tell us about that. Um, so, um, yeah, so she was a um, normal, normal baby. Um, she was like, born at the start of um, lockdown, the very start of lockdown. Um, so she, um, apart from the midwives and, and one doctor after that, she didn't see any health professionals. We didn't see um, any health visitors or anything. Um, and, yeah, it was about kind of February time she started to cough um, and, it, and started to kind of wheeze a little bit and she would make a grunting noise when she was playing or concentrating on things. I didn't think too much of it. We didn't think too much of it, did no. we? But um, in the March time, um, we uh, went to the GP and just said, you know, this, this doesn't seem quite right. Um, and he just said, oh, it's probably asthma, but because she's under, under one still, we're not really sure, you know... Um, well, they couldn't diagnose, couldn't diagnose it. No, so they put her on a waiting list um, to see a consultant. Um, but it got worse. It got quite rapidly worse, actually, didn't it? She'd wake up in the night coughing mm. um, and kind of gasping for breath. And the inhalers that they prescribed her didn't, didn't do anything at all. So um, we kind of took it upon ourselves. Um, it was the 14th of June last year, so just over a year ago. Um, we took it upon ourselves to um, kind of force our way into the GP again because they obviously weren't seeing many people, especially if you had a cough mm. during COVID times. Um, yeah, so, and then they, they, they told us to go straight to our local hospital. We were there for 24 hours. They said she had pneumonia, wow. um, which I thought was awful, the worst thing ever, um, <laughs> which now yeah. I kind of laugh about slightly, um, thinking I, you know... That, what, we, what we wouldn't give for pneumonia, yeah, eh? which I know, <laughs> I know it's, I know it is serious, but yeah, um, but she would have, you know, hopefully made a full recovery from that. But um, but yeah, so they, after 24 hours um, being at our local hospital, they did a scan of her heart called an echo, um, and they found a collection of fluids around her heart, um, and so they blue lighted us immediately to the Evelina um, in London. Um, mm. So that was yeah, just 24 hours after arriving in hospital. Um, and it's you a were really rapid. Yeah. Suddenly, mm. your life is transformed. Yeah, and I mean, we'd never had anything like that before. We we were we're both quite kind of straightforward medically, like you know, we've never broken any bones or anything. And it was just, you know, I'd ridden in an ambulance once with a friend, and um, and it was it was very it was a very very scary time. Um, they, they were still quite sort of. They made it all feel quite routine at that point, though, oh, they didn't did. they? They said, "Oh, well, you'll go up to London and they'll do this drain," and mm. it's quite, they, they were like, "They do it all the time." And you're like, oh, okay. But they couldn't tell us, they couldn't tell yeah. us what the fluid was around her heart, though. So when, when I got there to the hospital, you know, they prepared me in the ambulance. They said, have you ever been in an intensive care unit before? No. Okay. Well, this is what you should expect. Don't look at people. You know, there will be very poorly children in there. Your daughter is not that poorly, but that's where she needs to go right now. And, um, and yeah, with, with maybe being there for about half an hour, she was taken away from me. And, um, and the next time I saw her, she was um, in an induced coma and um, very, very, very poorly. Because, um, yeah, there were so so that that was after a couple of weeks actually. Um, 
So, yeah, so what happened that night, she, um, they found this fluid, they drained the fluid, but then there were complications in the draining of the fluid, um, and lots of air came in around her heart, and they couldn't explain why the air was there. They thought initially that they had maybe punctured a lung doing the drain, um, and, you know, this poor surgeon had to come in and say to me, I'm really sorry, I think I've punctured your daughter's lung. We need to ring another surgeon to oh. come in the middle of the night, this was. Um, mm. And I was there by myself because Paul was at home with the other children, planning on coming up at about 9 o'clock the next morning. Um, you actually spoke to the consultant on the phone in the middle of the night, didn't you? She mm. was About half past one. Yeah, she mm. rung you, which we didn't realise until later on, about three or four days later, but that consultant was actually the medical director of the whole hospital. She was standing in for somebody that night. Wow. Um, and, um, yeah, but she was there when all this kind of complication and everything... Uh, went on and they never did get to the bottom of why the air came in but she became very very poorly very very quickly and I rung Paul early in the morning and said you need to come sooner than nine o'clock because yeah you just need to get here. I think it was about half past five in the morning you rang and I remember you just said you need to come now because they've said they're not sure whether she's going to make it. Yeah. Um, Which was a bit of a well it was a complete shock because it had all been quite like I said it felt although it was obviously serious the way they had made it sound yes. in the run-up to the procedure was, you know, we drain this stuff this all the time. Yeah. It's a standard thing. You, okay, fine. Um, even when I spoke to the consultant at sort of half past one in the morning, she was very much just like, this is what's happened. You know, she was like, we're really sorry that there's been this complication. And I was like, okay, fine, you know. <laughs> Do your job. <laughs> see you in the morning. <laughs> yeah, fine, yeah, yeah. You're, you're the ones who know what you're doing, so it's fine. Yeah. So, yeah, it was quite a shock to kind of hear that in the morning and then have to kind of hot-foot it up yeah. to London. You, you didn't go by yourself, though, did you? Our friend, um, our friend took you because you were kind of in no fit state to kind of know exactly where you were going <laughs> no, <laughs> and I don't figure think, out a route. <laughs> I don't think I'd planned at all the journey, so a friend of ours yeah, came on the train with me and just pointed me on the right tube yeah. you know, when we got yeah. there and got me to the door. Um, Pushed and, you in. <laughs> yeah, and then, so I think I arrived about 9 o'clock, didn't I? Um, and it was a nightmare because there was no signal on, the, on my phone, you know, it's just a kind of dead oh. area. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't find the right floor, you know, couldn't find the right room, and you're buzzing these doors, and no one's opening the doors, nobody's answering. Um, and eventually kind of got in, and you were like, oh, it's fine, she's fine, you know. And we went in to see her, and she was... I mean, she, looked, she didn't look in a good state, but you'd, you, you, were, you just seemed quite calm about it all. I guess you'd had quite a lot of time to... Yeah, I guess so. Um, ..adapt to it. But there were maybe like five or six nurses around the whole time, okay. sort of constantly, seemingly just keeping her going. Um, so is it at this point where the, your, your favourite nurse comes into the story, or is that Not later quite. on? That's slightly later on. That's okay. slightly later on, but it, she was one of the nurses at the Evelina. Um, yeah, but no, that morning, Paul arrived, and, um, and I said, oh, I think she's kind of doing okay right this second. Um, why don't you come and have a cup of tea? Let's go and chat. Um, and I said to Paul, you know, let's come to the parents' kitchen. This is basically where I've hung out all evening. Um, and we walked in, we grabbed a cup of tea, we stood there by the sink, and your phone rang, didn't it? Yeah, it was just a brief moment of signal. Came <laughs> and I saw it, it was a London number, and I thought, that's really odd. So I just answered it. And uh, someone said, oh, is that Liberty's dad? I said, yeah. And they said, oh, you need to come back because she's quite poorly. And we were literally sort of 20 seconds from the door, you mm-hmm. know. So we kind of went straight back in. I got to the door and the doctor, I remember he stopped me on the door and he just said, um, her heart stopped, but they're trying to bring her back. Um, 
And I remember looking through the door and seeing her kind of on the table there, kind of, they'd stripped her down completely. They're like, there was pandemonium, or it looked like pandemonium, you know, to the untrained eye. Um, but yeah, they're kind of doing chest compressions, you know, kind of on, on, the, uh, on her chest at that point. And they just, the guy, I remember him saying, you know, I've got kids, you don't want to watch this. And he just, they kind of just took us out to the side and put us kind of in the corridor, got some chairs mm. for us. And I think a nurse stayed with us for a while, didn't she? There was, I, I mean, they were coming in and out the whole time, you know, yeah. kind of trying to explain what was going on and what they wanted to do. And, um, but yeah, yeah, that's a pretty, I mean, that's, that's not really a moment. I don't think I'll ever forget that moment, really. It's, it's quite shocking to be told. Mm. You know, as soon as you come out that door, you think to yourself, am I ever going to see, am I ever going to see her alive again? Um, and uh, I don't, I've got no idea how long we were really out know. there. I but the, I remember the doctor coming out and saying, well, we're going to try and bring her back, and, and then we want to get her onto this machine called ECMO, which is basically sort of an artificial heart and lung, which pumps blood out and round and back in. Yeah, and he said that would take about an hour and a half. Um, it was, a, it was um, a, a proper kind of, you know, surgical procedure mm, with yeah. surgeons to come and put her on the machine. I think, we, you know, we were, we were in incredibly fortunate we were at the Evelina when she had the cardiac arrest because they don't have ECMO machines in every hospital. Mm. So they, w they didn't have one in our local hospital. So we were really um, fortunate um, mm. that, that we were there when that happened. Um, yeah, so they put her on ECMO. Um, and they told us that one of the um, side effects of, I guess, of being on ECMO is um, it can cause a bleed to the brain. Um, and within less than 24 hours, she had a stroke, didn't she? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, she had a stroke to the right side of her brain. Um, but they, they kept her on the machine because she wasn't, she wasn't able to come off it yet. Um, yeah. and, and so and all, during all of this time, we were asking, why is this happening? What is wrong with her? You know, she's got pneumonia. She's got a cough. Like, what, what is this? And every time they, um, you know, they did a CT scan, and then the, when they opened her up and they, they said that there was just so much fluid, they were trying to find a cause to this fluid. You know, where was it coming from? What was it? Um, and um, it baffled them, completely baffled them. Um, one of the, um, the top guys in the PICU there said he'd been doing that job for 20 years and he'd never seen anything quite like it before. The surgeon who, um, who went in and, and did a heart procedure on her said that he had to stitch up over 30 stitches around her heart and he had to put... Um, a clamp in her stomach to stop fluid from dripping down further, um, but they didn't know what it was or, mm. or where it was mm. coming from. Um, and it was, it, was a, it was a lot as well, because the guy, I think the doctor said to me that within the first 24 hours, once they drained the initial fluid, he said it was like the floodgates opened, like it, it just was just gushing out. And he said, I think it was two and a half, Liter. two and a half liters in the first 24 hours in her chest. And he said, which to your eye would be the equivalent of about 30 liters just kind of inside us. Um, and yeah, I mean, they were absolutely baffled. And I mean, they'd said to us, hadn't they, when, when they were trying to bring her back, you know, it could be, you know, when you see fluid, it could be an infection. It could be, there was one other thing I can never remember, and they said it could be cancer. And I remember we said in the corridor, like, I wouldn't care if they said she has cancer right now. I just want them to say, this is what yeah, it is. You just want to know. And we can do something now, because it just felt like they didn't know. And mm. she was just kind of going downhill all the time. And until they found out what was wrong, the only treatment they could give her was, you know, randomly stitching places up in her chest or putting drains in her. They couldn't treat her. 
um, until they found a cause um, mm. of, of what was actually wrong with her. Um, so that was, that was really difficult. Um, it was really difficult. Um, well, it would have been difficult to anybody, but it was difficult, um, I guess, for us as Christians as well to kind of, you know, trust that this was all in God's plan um, for us and for her. Um, but we just really wanted answers as to, yeah, as to what, what was going on. Um, mm. So... so at this point, you're still in the Evelina. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you end up at Great Ormond Street? Yeah, so they, um, so I, so they, the consultants at Great Ormond Street were in talks with um, consultants at um, Evelina and Great Ormond Street were in talks together. Sorry, um, but they were also on these multidisciplinary Zoom meetings, speaking to um, doctors in Atlanta and, and in Philadelphia as well. Um, because the uh, Philadelphia Children's Hospital um, is, has got quite a specialist unit for um, lymphatic fluid, which is what, at this point, they thought that the fluid was lymphatic. So they were in talks with all these people, and eventually they called us in and said, we think she's got a generalised lymphatic anomaly. And we were like, a what? What now? And they were like, well, it's a really rare thing, but it's a collection of, um, of kind of diseases, of anomalies, where the lymphatic system in your body just doesn't work properly. Um, so that's what they told us it was, and then it wasn't until a couple of days later they'd had another meeting, and then they narrowed mm. it down, didn't they? And I think when they got the genetic results back, yeah. they narrowed it down to being a specific lymphatic anomaly called Kaposi-form lymphangiomatosis, or KLA for short, um, and mm. uh, and the, um, uh, the Evelina Children's Hospital couldn't deal with that. Um, they just weren't... They're, they're an amazing hospital. They saved her life. Um, we owe them so much. They just could not... They couldn't deal with that. They didn't have the specialist team mm-hmm. there. Um, and so we were transferred to Great Ormond Street because they thought, although it's... So it's such a rare disease... Um, uh, there's only thought to be about 100 or so, if not less, people to have, to have had it and have it um, around the world. Um, so, yeah, they, they don't have a specific treatment for KLA, so they have to kind of dip in and out of other things. So one of the things that they thought might help is chemotherapy, um, and they weren't uh, prepared to do that specific chemotherapy at the Evelina. So that's why they just transferred us across the river. Um, to Gosh um, after three and a half weeks of okay. being um, there. But no, you said earlier about, um, yeah, about, uh, about, yeah, so she was brilliant. Uh, so, so, the, so she was called Rachel, and we didn't actually find out she was a Christian until, I don't know, I think she'd been looking after Libby for maybe a week on and off, hadn't she? Mm. Um, but she was the nurse the night that. So Libby was on ECMO for six days, and then they took her off, and she was doing really well, which was great. And after a couple of hours, they called us back and said, actually, she's not doing well, and we might have to put her back on ECMO. Now, this, we were told this was our decision, and if she went back on ECMO, she would probably have another stroke, which would kill her. And if she didn't go back on ECMO, she would die too. So they said, it's up to you, but this is, you know your decision. So we said, well, okay, we'll give her the chance. If you, if you have to put her back on, put her back on. But that night, Rachel was, was the nurse, um, mm. and you stayed as well, didn't you? I went, I went back to the, to the accommodation that we were given um, to go to sleep. Uh, had to kind of be forced to go, didn't I? But just believe that that night, you know, you prayed and Rachel prayed and, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the... Because I remember one of the doctors, John, had said to me before they took off the ECMO, he said, oh, 
you know, we've take, you know, we take 100 people off ECMO. He said, you know, we've only ever put one person back on. And I remember, like, the other doctor, Hillary, when we were in, like, we called it the room of doom, where they take you to the side and take you in the room and you just don't want to be there and have a conversation. Yeah. Um, and she said, I heard him say that earlier, and I was like, don't say that, don't say that. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, I remember her saying, like, I think you asked just very bluntly, you were like, is she going to die? And Hillary was just quite tearful and was like, well, it, there's a, quite a good chance. Mm. Um, I did also ask when he said, we only put, we've only ever put one person out of 100 people back on ECMO, and I said, and did they live? And he said, no. But I think if you don't ask those blunt questions, you don't get the answers yeah. because they skirt around the issues because they don't want to upset you, mm. which is completely... I get that. Um, but we were, we, we were just all about wanting to know mm. what yeah. was, and what was yeah. happening. And that was the... So it was after that that I think I, I sent a message back to people at home and just said, like, you know, this isn't... We're in a really bad place now. Um, and I remember Steve, our vicar said, well, we're having an emergency prayer meeting tonight at the, ch you know, we're going to do it. Um, it was on Zoom. Um, and so I went, I went on the Zoom call. Um, you stayed with Libby, didn't you? Um, and I remember kind of logging in and there was, I think it was like 84, it was 84 screens of people, you know, and, and there were people there we didn't even know, like not just from our church, but kind of friends of Christians we know who'd heard about it from their Christian friends yeah. and it just were like, we just wanted to come and pray. And there weren't, there were, there were non-Christians on there as well, which was well, like... People from school, yeah. Yeah, a couple of, yeah. like, you know, my best friend messaged me and said, oh, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so were on there from school. And, like, you know, mums that I see in the playground, you know, who I go to Weatherspoons with and, you know, mm. like, were joining a church Zoom prayer meeting. You know, I was having messages from, from friends, again, non-Christians, saying, I don't know if there's a God like, but if anyone's going to save your child, it, it will be God. So I've prayed. I hope he listened. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I was like, thanks. Yeah. Um, but, um, but like, for me, like, that, 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 was, in, that was incredible. Amazing. Um, Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So um, chatting very briefly earlier, uh, you sort of gave the impression that, that you two, uh, it affected you two in different ways. I mean, like me sitting here as like a dad of a one-year-old and, and all of us sitting here, we're thinking, how on earth would I respond in that circumstance? Um, how did it affect you two in different ways? Well, that meeting's a good example, yeah. isn't it? Because you were livid that I went to the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not that you told me that, but <laughs> at the time. Um, because, but I remember like just before... Very specifically, I, I felt because this was about five or six days in, wasn't it? Mm. And I think just before that meeting, you said at the side of her bed to the nurses, you just said, I just feel like it's completely hopeless. And like you kind of broke down at that point. And I remember thinking in my head at that point, because at that point, up to that point, we'd been both quite like in it, you know, it felt mm. like we were both on the same page the whole time. And I remember thinking, like, oh, like, Oh pants, you know, like I'm on my own here now. All of a sudden, like, and like there was just this different. We we did respond to it differently, didn't we? And so I obviously went off to this meeting. Um, I think I think, I mean, you can say how you felt, but I think um, I was quite surprised that most of the time, apart from those kind of days where the very specific things happened, and they were kind of saying you might want to prepare for the end, ninety nine percent of the time. I felt very, very calm and very at peace with the whole thing. Wow. Um, and I can't explain that apart from 
you know, it was, it was peace from the Lord, you know. Um, and I've said before that I, <laughs> I've come to so many things like this, you know, and you, you look at someone at the front and they tell some awful story about some terrible thing that happened in their life, um, you know, um, and they say, but we really knew the peace of God. And I would sit there where you all are and I'd think, oh yeah, but it's different for them, isn't it? Like that would never be me if I was in that situation. They must be like some kind of super faith person. Um, and suddenly, you know, then I was in that situation and I was just sitting there thinking like, well, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. You know, not in the sense of like, she's definitely going to get better. But there was a sense of like, well, this is in the Lord's hands. Um, and so whatever happens, you know, whether it, she gets better or whether she dies, there was just this sort of trust in me that like, it's okay. Like, God's got this, whichever way this is going. Um, and so, yeah, there was a sort of remarkable piece that I can't yeah. explain. That really is a, a peace beyond all understanding. Mm. Absol- well, it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really was, so... Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, it took me a lot longer to get to that point. Um, I was, I'm quite an emotional person generally, although I think this has kind of hardened me slightly. Um, uh, but, yeah, no, I was, I, and I was constantly asking questions, you know. I would constantly say to the nurses or the doctors, um, is she going to die? Or, like, what does the future look like? And I would constantly be pressing them for answers, whereas you were a lot more laid back. Slightly later on, when we were at Great Ormond Street, um, I think I'd spent like eight days there by myself without Paul, and I think I don't think I'd left the hospital for about 48 hours. And I did kind of have a slight little breakdown where an um, occupational therapist referred me to the psychiatrist. <laughs> but but the psychiatrist came <laughs> and spoke to me and was like, "No, actually, I think you're okay." I was like, "Yeah, I was just having a bad day, but I was fine." I think it's okay to uh, <laughs> have a breakdown <laughs> I know, in that I circumstance. I felt really like, oh, like sorry, um, but um, but no, generally speaking, I was. Um, you know, I was a lot more like, yeah, just not quite as chilled out as you until slightly later on, I think. Um, but I don't think that came across necessarily because one of the things that we were w- very aware of, or at least I was very aware of early on, was that a, we were, there were a lot of people were looking in at what was going on and there wasn't a sense to me of kind of like, oh, well, we've got to, we've got to be like, yeah, we've got to perform or anything like that. But very quickly, like we would chat to other parents in the kind of parents' room and you'd, you'd ask them what was going on with their child and stuff mm. and, and they'd tell you and then they'd say, what about you? And you, we'd explain. And they'd just be like, what? Like, how are you so calm? And, we, and I don't think at that point we were just like, well, I don't think we thought it was anything particularly unusual at that stage, you know. But when, suddenly when you start mixing with lots of other parents who are in a very serious situation as well, you could see actually lots of other people were just in absolute bits yeah. the whole time. Um, and I think, you know, even if you didn't feel like you were <laughs> on top of it the whole mm. time, I think from the outside, people looking in were kind of going, how on earth are they keeping on going like that? And I, we were aware that, I mean, I said, oh, well, one of my friends said to me um, back from at home in church, he said, he said, this is like an evangelistic event. <laughs> he said, like, because everybody's just, like, everybody's on your Facebook, like, talking about this, praying about this, you know, Christians, non-Christians, you know. And there was this sense of kind of, that was another thing. It was like, well, God is using this in some way. Yeah. You know, there was, it was very obvious. It just felt like God is, use, is using this, you know, and we're right in the middle of it, and we don't know what it is, but we were, like, seeing, like, you know, people from school, on, on a Zoom prayer meeting. Yeah. 
And like, <laughs> we're like, well, that would never have happened before. So we were kind of aware, you know, God was doing something through it all. Um, were there, so you've mentioned uh, the nurse, you've mentioned the, the prayer. Were there other ways that the Lord was kind of upholding you through this? Yeah, so I think, so, um, yeah, definitely. But going, going back to the nurses sure. as well, they kept on cropping up, these Christian nurses. And I think that <laughs> there are a lot of Christian nurses. Um, but um, I think something that I found quite interesting was that they're not allowed to tell you outright that they're Christians. Um, and that normal, like our way in to finding out whether a nurse was a Christian was when they asked what we did for work. And I would say, oh, my husband works part-time for a Christian charity organisation. Mm. they go, oh! them um, and then they would tell me so so yeah so she had a number of christian nurses at the evelina the one that evening where we thought that she was gonna uh, go back on ecmo there was one she was only in the prcu at great ormond street for a week by some amazing miracle before we moved to the ward and one uh, nurse who she had for three nights in a row there was a christian and i only found out she was christian on the last night um and uh, she was like okay so i can say this to you now i've just been here every night for the last two nights praying for her and I, like she had a, she had her own room so you know she was just in there for it was three nights in a row just praying over our child and I was just like this is just incredible and at that point I just broke down on her and I was like do you know what like I've got no no worries about leaving her tonight like I'm just gonna go and have my tea like please just pray yeah. <laughs> like remember to give her the medication but also yeah. Pray. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was her and then on the wards um where we were for a long time uh, just over two months weren't we um on that ward I would say we got to, to know this team of nurses really well and two of them uh, were Christians as well um who I actually saw last week I, they were both on duty when I went back last week which was which was brilliant um, so, um, yeah, but in, in other ways um, uh, that we felt God um, uh, upholding us. Um, so there were really practical things, like we're both self-employed, you know, Paul, and the charity that Paul uh, works for carried on um, paying him, even though he wasn't there. And, wow. you know, a friend set up a GoFundMe page, which I was quite like against at the beginning. I, didn't, I don't know how I felt about that, but actually that was a real answer to prayer. And because that meant that, you know, when the kids came up at the weekend, we didn't have to say no to, like, doing, you know, taking them mm. out for, for lunch or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that was... Because we, we had the other two girls who were sort of a little bit older. Um, you know, when they were up on the weekends, we were trying to do things like, I think we went to the London Aquarium, you know, because that was right next to the Evelina. You know, things like that, because you, you knew that their whole life had been sort of completely upended all of a sudden, and you were like, well, we need to and through <laughs> do that, something. Yeah. Through that, they actually built up really good memories as well. Um, so we were even talking about it today, weren't we? Like, they were saying, well, what was that really nice restaurant that we used to go to? And, and, and it was this, uh, just around the corner from Great Ormond Street, there's like a Greek restaurant, and we went there nearly every week because our children are quite fussy. One of them's obsessed with hummus and olives, and the other one just <laughs> eats chips. So actually, that nice. was quite nice, and we got <laughs> some nice food that wasn't just hummus, hummus and olives and chips. Um, but, um, but yeah, and they, and they talk about that now with quite like fondness, actually. Wow. Um, so, you know, that was great. Um, my parents moved in uh, for three and a half weeks to look after them um, when we were both at the Evelina, and then they were basically just there whenever we needed them and drove up to London every week, didn't they? To, mm. They would take whichever one of us wasn't there, because we do one week on, one week off, so they'd drive one of us up with the girls 
and then uh, we'd all, you know, leave Libby if she'd gone to sleep or whatever, go out for lunch quickly. The children would come in and see her and have a bit of a play uh, once they were allowed to, and then they'd take the other one back, um, which that was a real yeah. provision as well. That's um, great. So, um, I think we should see some, uh, some different photos yeah, of Libby. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if we get some up on the screen. So you can see Clara in the background there. That's our daughter making herself at home. Yeah, so that was at our Jubilee party just the other week at our church, our garden Jubilee party, where she'd had jelly for the first time there. Because she, um, so she ate and walked and talked at everything normally before um, all of this happened. Um, and then um, when she had the stroke, she obviously couldn't walk or anything, so she had to learn how to sit up to crawl, to walk, to talk again. She, yeah. also, had, she also still has vocal fold issues um, because of, I, they think it's a result of, um, of heart surgery. They think the surgeon might have nipped a nerve when he went in for the emergency surgery. So she was tube-fed uh, right up until December. Um, and, uh, just middle of December, she started eating again, but yeah. she still can't drink water. So she still has her feeding tube for water and medication. But that was the first time she's had jelly. So that's, <laughs> that's jelly face joy there. That is <laughs> a specific type of joy. So, so she's clearly, she's, she's back home here. She's isn't back she? home. Yeah. Can you yeah. tell us about sort of what it was like being able to bring her home, how that happens and what that's been like? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the initial, I mean, the initial getting out of hospital, getting home, because you spend all of your time in hospital being like, when are we going we home? We were just when a complete we broken record, weren't we? <laughs> we were just like, literally every time a doctor came in, we were like, can we go home? Um, yeah. And um, yeah, um, one of the main things was that she had um, an NG and an NJ tube, which tubes in the nose. One went, the NJ tube passed down by her stomach and went into her intestine and the NG tube went into her stomach um, and so they wanted to get those tubes out and get a feeding tube in her tummy so once they'd done that um, and there was a new doctor on the scene wasn't there who mm. just kind of whizzed it all through and mm. was like right we want to get this kid home so they, so they got her feeding tube fitted and then we were actually discharged on my birthday on the 24th of September um, which, um, which was a real day of going are we going, are we not, are yeah. we going, are we not? Because they kept on saying, oh, but you have to have this scan, oh, and if this scan doesn't go well, then we won't let you go. And mm. I was just like, come on now. Like, <laughs> I want an Indian takeaway, and I want to sit next to my <laughs> husband on our sofa because we haven't sat next to each other, well, we haven't been in the same town, like, at home <laughs> yeah, well, for didn't we, three months. Yeah, so, I, I uh, we, we said that at one point, didn't we, that we hadn't actually been in, the, in our own house together for about two and a half, three so months. So it, it was the morning of... Um, yeah, the 14th of June, I took her to the hospital, um, and then we came home on the 24th of September. Um, mm. So it was a long time. But it's, it's a, I, I talk about, I feel like when you're in hospital all that time, you, you sort of become like slightly institutionalised, okay. because it's, you, it, you get into a routine of how life works, right. and people were bringing us meals and things, <laughs> and suddenly they were like, right, off you go, and you get home and you're like... How that, do I cook? Well, you know, they, how do I do? Like that, that first that first night we got home though, it was it. We were I don't know. Maybe it would be better if we waited until the Monday because we got home Friday night, my birthday. Like the girls were so excited, so we Paul drove up that day. So we drove up drove home the three of us. So the first time I ever did an independent. Uh, tube feed with her was stuck in a traffic jam in like some really dodgy area like driving <laughs> through London on the way home I was like pull up the door <laughs> and I'm there like trying to find this 
you know, feeding tube, and I'd only been taught two days before, I'd only had my training on how to use this feeding pump, and so that was all a bit crazy, but then we got home, I don't know, at about quarter past seven in the evening, and the girls were so excited, there were balloons, my mum had organised, like, bunting, like, loads of friends and family had made, like, different triangles of bunting, saying, welcome home, Libby, and happy birthday, mummy, and um, there was a birthday cake, and there were presents for her and for me, and they were like, open your presents, let's sing happy birthday, and we were like, we've got to do medication, (laughs) (laughs) and we're there in the kitchen going, oh, how much does it say of this, and you had never done any of the medication by yourself before, had you, and so I was trying to teach you how to do it all, and so the first night was a bit crazy, but um, uh, but initially, yeah, and, and then it settled down after that, and yeah. and it's just it's just nice. Yeah, it's just a routine. <laughs> you get into a routine very quickly. So okay. I mean, there was a lot of medication at the beginning, um, but even then, once you know what you're doing, you just kind of get up, you do it, yeah, and then you carry on the day. And most of her days look like any other child's day, and particularly now, you know, she has a little bit of medicine in the morning, a little bit in the evening. The rest of the day, she just does what she wants, like any other sort of two-year-old, yeah. and you wouldn't really know there was anything different about her no. on the whole. She did have, um, she had a central line, um, a Hickman line, um, for um, which she had some medication in hospital, well, a lot during the early days, that basically goes straight into her veins. Um, and she had, um, that was her food source as well. She was on TPN, which is like a, um, when her stomach wasn't tolerating her, um, intestine wasn't tolerating any feeds so she had basically fluids and nutrition okay. going straight into her veins so yeah. she still had that line in when she was discharged um, because they needed it for blood tests and things like that which she was having regular blood tests it's basically just a permanent cannula really but in here and so we had to have regular nurses come and um, Anna change the dressing on that and she wasn't allowed to get it wet so that was really difficult because we couldn't give her a proper bath and you know she couldn't so, yeah, she couldn't do the mm. normal things that, that two-year-olds would have done at that point. Um, mm. But she had that removed in February, so that was, that was, uh, that was amazing. Um, yeah, so she goes swimming again now. We just have to be careful she doesn't drink the water because um, yeah. we don't want a chest infection. Um, no. <laughs> but oh, generally speaking, she's quite good. That was on her first uh, proper walk without, like, the baby carrier. She, I think she walked about two miles. Um, wow. Yeah, which, yeah, wow. I know. We did, we did carry her for some of it, but, like, yeah. she just, she was raring to go. She was just like, yeah. you haven't bought a baby carrier, I'm just going just gonna to go. So. It's so lovely seeing her smile. Yeah. It's a great smile. It is a good smile, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly biased. She's a sweetie. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Becca, I'm told that lots of people ask you just how do you cope um, so maybe you can answer that question like how do you cope in the present and, and maybe some like what are your how do you cope thinking about the future as well yeah I just I, I just always say like I don't have a choice in this matter um, and um, and anything that I'm kind of confused about or have doubt about I just like yeah don't want to make myself sound like super holy and I've got it sorted but I don't have a choice but to just put it in God's hands because you know he's saved her already um so yeah just just keep going really and just keep praying and just keep trusting that that you know jesus will work it out out for for his good really um i mean she's got an amazing testimony to tell herself when she's older um yeah yeah, so so yeah that's that's it really um 
I don't have anything profound to say on that matter, other than, yeah, just keep trusting that, um, that Jesus has it, has it sorted. Her future-wise, um, one of the things we heard a lot in hospital was, we just don't know. We got quite bored of that phrase, didn't we? Mm. We just don't know, uh, they would keep saying to us. And, yeah, they don't, they don't know because there's not, like, X amount of patients who've already had this already at her age. As far as we're aware... There's no other patient ever who's got KLA that has the same or similar story to her. All the other people we've come across, there's a support group for generalised lymphatic anomalies that we're in that's got 200 people in it, and um, they think that, you know, maybe about a quarter of them have got KLA. Um, but none of the stories we've heard match up to what she's been through. So she's, she's obviously got this lymphatic anomaly but she's got lots of other things like her vocal fold issue and the fact that she had a stroke and everything and she's got the feeding tube, so there's lots of things that run alongside that. So once we can knock all of those things on the head, she's already pretty much recovered from the stroke, which there's a very, very slight thing in her left side, um, you know, slight claw when she crawls along, but that's very, very minimal. Um, and, yep, she started eating again, so once we get past all of that, then we can just really focus on what life is like with, with KLA whether that will be aches, pains um, in her chest area, um, coughing, um, more um, she's on a medication to, uh, to shrink down the lymphatic vessels that, that overproduce the fluid. So we just have to keep praying that that medication works because if that medication stops working, which it does in some people, mm, um, okay. then, um, then uh, yeah, they might have to go back to the drawing board. So... Um, We'll keep praying. Yeah, just yeah, just keep praying that the medication keeps working and she keeps thriving because she's baffled the doctors um, completely. Yeah, baffled them. Mm. Um, and it's a fast, yeah. it's a fast moving area as well. Sort of, okay. they'd said to us very, you know, earlier on when they kind of were getting an idea of what it was, they said people have only really been looking at this illness since the late nineties, and they said, and it's just moving so quickly in terms of research. So, you know, I think there was a lady who we talked to whose son had something similar. And she said, sort of, you know, he'd been diagnosed sort of 10 years ago. And she said, what they know now compared to then is so, so different. Hmm. Um, and we've joined um, a research program that's based in America um, for rare diseases. Um, and they, what, what they do is, well, we, I had to um, type in every single hospital that's cared for her and which, you know, consultant she's under and departments and stuff. They then contact the hospitals and request all her medical notes and so that they're kept in this one place. We can now see them, which is quite interesting as well. Um, but they've got them at this Centre for Rare Diseases in America so they can literally analyse all of these notes, pinpoint every single little thing about her and what's happened along her journey to try and see whether there's anything they've missed that they could yeah. you know, find a medication, find a cure, find, you know, find a more effective treatment. Um, yeah. which would be incredible. So keep That's praying great. for that and the research as well. Um, because I often think like these rare diseases, do get, they do get missed in the funding and in the research for things as right. well. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I know that um, one of the things that you did to keep you going was you had a uh, kind of Bible verse journal. Um, could you maybe share one of the verses and maybe how you yeah. found it particularly helpful? Yeah, sure. Well, there was lots of, th- I mean, l- day by day. I mean, I, I will say before I share this verse that there are just so many verses that sort of came to life through the, the time we were there, particularly in the Psalms. Um, but I think suddenly when you are, <laughs> when you're at sort of rock bottom, um, 
a lot of these verses become more than just kind of, here's a nice verse that you might put on a, you know, uh, embroider on a something or other to <laughs> hang up somewhere in your house. Um, you're like, this really has a meaning now. Um, and actually, I mean, one of the ones we, we found written in, down in the, uh, the journal was um, from John 14, which is a peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And I think, you know, as, as we kind of talked about earlier, that, I mean, the peace we knew was, um, you know, definitely from outside of us. It was definitely, you know, there was no reason for us to have the peace that we had. Um, and so actually when, when you, you, know, you read about Jesus saying, well, I, you know, here's my peace that I leave with you, um, it begins to take on a new meaning um, for, for us, I think. And, you know, there are lots of verses uh, like that. But I think, you know, what that verse, you know, when Jesus is talking about, you know, having, having peace there, I mean, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, do not be afraid. You know, thinking about that, that you know, you asked a moment ago, Becca, how she coped. I think so much of it is to do with big picture. Um, you know, I don't know how people cope in this situation if they don't have faith, if they don't believe there is a God. Um, because, you know, I can look at, I can read the Gospels, and you know, I know that when Jesus talks about the peace he brings, Jesus has brought peace between us and God through his death on the cross. And because we know what Jesus has done, we know what God is like, we know what Jesus is like, we know that we have a God who loves us and who cares for us, and we also know what the end of the story is. Yes. We know that ultimately, at the end of all things, there will be no more sickness and death and crying or pain. All those things will be uh, washed away. And um, there is this sort of happy ending. Um, and I think that's what helps us cope in the middle of it, you know, because we know that because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of what he's done, no matter what happens in this life now, so even, even in those moments when she was really sick and I said, you know, she might die, we kind of knew even if that happens, there is still a happy ending. And I think if you don't have that, I mean, I mean, I, I, sometimes we would read the comments people would put and maybe we'd have comments on Facebook from friends who weren't Christians and they'd say like, um, you know, sending positive vibes or, you know, things like that. Um, Well-meaning. You're well-meaning, very well-meaning. But I said to Becca, there was a re- I said, in that moment, you, when, everyone, when everyone was saying, look, we're praying for you and things, you kind of see things like that and you realize how empty it, it really is. It's just kind of just, it's like, well, we hope it will get better. But there's no real guarantees. Um, and actually, I mean, I think when, when you know, looking at the verse there, I say, well, we can have peace because we know what Jesus has done. Um, it makes a difference, not just kind of at the end of all things, but it does make a difference now because, like we say, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the day after. In fact, none of us, I mean, all of us live in that situation anyway. None of us know what tomorrow is going to bring. Um, and we don't know how long Libby will have, whether she will, you know, get worse at some stage or whether she'll live to a ripe old age um, and whatever that might look like. But we can know that regardless of that, um, we have a God who is working all things to good and will ultimately bring all things together um, under him. Mm. Um, and you know, at the end of all things, there will, these things will be gone because of what Jesus yeah. has done. So I think that's an encouragement for us in the midst of it all. That's so good to hear. Thank you so much, both of you, for sharing your story and, and the hope that uh, you have. It's, it's so inspiring to hear. Can we, can we give them a round of applause?
Uh, in just a moment, Gain is going to come up and explain what's happening uh, for the rest of the evening. But um, well, I'm going to pray for these guys. And, and if, if uh, you would like to join in, uh, feel free if you know what it is to pray. Um, and uh, just ask God to keep protecting uh, this family. Um, Father God, we thank you so much for this story. Um, Lord, we thank you for, for Libby and pray that you would protect her and keep her safe. Um, we pray that you would keep Becca and Paul and the girls going, keep their faith strong and grow them in their hope that they have in Jesus. In his name, amen. 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 Thank you. Thanks very much. Gaynor, over to you.